and welcome to Keep It Quirky, a podcast where I talk with creatives and entrepreneurs about inspiration, food and travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion, so let's do this. There's also something about an American accent in the podcast that sounds better than an English one. No way! It's- Every time I try and make the intro to my podcast sound more fun, it just comes across as stop trying. So <laughs> Today's episode is an interview with the lovely Ed Kimber, who is a rock star because he's a baker, author, food writer, food photographer, podcaster, and the list goes on. Oh yeah, did I mention that he's also the very first winner of the Great British Bake Off? In the world of food media, this man is set to take over the world. Hey, Ed! Hello. It's been, uh, as you said all those things, it's been very recently brought to my attention that I'm a control freak. <laughs> Someone's, I think it was my, my, my lovely mother who at Christmas was like... Oh, you've got lots of transferable, transferable skills these days. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you do this, you do that, and no one else helps you. <laughs> and I realized, yeah, maybe that's the wrong thing. <laughs> you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, when do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have odd sleep patterns. Um, I do, I, I have to say, I'm one of those people that I'm very lucky where I really get to do what I love as a job. So it doesn't always feel like work. So I was saying to you before we started that in a couple of weeks, I go to America for an 11 day tour for a magazine I work for. And I've been looking at the schedule and it's packed. It's like 11 days of, I, I, I had dreams of, oh, I'm going to go to this bakery in San Francisco. Right. Um, and it's not going to be quite that. It's literally going to be from job to job to job. And it'll be amazing and I'll have the best time. I will come back exhausted, but it still won't really have felt exactly like work because uh, I always said that doing something you love is the best thing. So I'm lucky that I work very, very hard, but... I really like what I do, so I don't mind too much. You have a really fascinating story of how (laughs) you got to where you are, and I want to get to that in just a second, but first, Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, so do you have a sense of what I mean by keep it quirky? That, that, like, to not take life quite so seriously, and that just life is more enjoyable when everything is not life or death? Yeah, I think that's true. (laughs) Friends of mine, family of mine partners of mine have said to me in the past um, you know you don't have a real job jokingly I think it's slight jealousy or you know people who have more corporate jobs and it's stressful I've done it and it's not as fun Um, so I'm very aware that I have a job that is you know is based around making cake you know it's it's not a life or death situation it is very it's meant to be an enjoyable thing and I'm making a business from it but in the end it is something that's you know I did it because it was a hobby and it was a passion and something I really enjoyed um so I've I found it when I have worked in a kind of a corporate sphere that I really hate it that I just it doesn't work for me I get stressed I don't react well to it um and so when I got the opportunity to kind of uh, follow a different path and, and do what I wanted, um, I've clung on to that really dearly because I genuinely haven't ever hated my job. That's a lie. That's a big fat lie. I hate my job for certain reasons, and right. that's more well, to do with being a freelancer. <laughs> but actually my work, I adore, and I love what I do. So I feel very lucky that you know I get to do something that I truly, truly love. So I think it's the best thing. And do you feel like you keep it quirky by simply the fact that you bake cakes for a living? I mean, I try very hard to make work enjoyable. So, you know, uh, there was a a couple of years ago where I was doing a lot of projects for other people and I wasn't really doing anything for myself. And it was I was very satisfied in certain ways, but I wasn't doing 
everything that I wanted to do. And I think that's kind of what started me doing a lot of projects that earn me zero money and don't uh, don't earn me a, a penny at all, but actually fulfill me a lot more. So things like my podcast, which is really difficult for me to keep going with, but I try very hard because I have to do work that actually pays. So it's that kind of balance of doing work that I really, really want to do and that I love and that I have a lot of fun doing, but doesn't directly earn me cash. So it's kind of that balance. But I think that balance is really important. Absolutely. Sure. And since you brought up your podcast, Ooh. let's talk about that really quickly because I am a huge fan. Ed's podcast is called Stir the Pot. Yes. He has fantastic guests. Um, you would know a lot of them from his first season, um, Cupcake Gemma. Uh, I do find it funny how I've started calling it seasons, and it's only because I'm not very good at keeping it regular. So I then started saying, new season. It works. It totally works. I think one season was one episode. <laughs> Tell us some of the people that you have on for this upcoming season. <laughs> well, I think it technically is a season, this one, because I, I have a lot of episodes already in the bank. Yes. So um, depending on when this comes out, um, a few of them will probably already be out, but we have um, Ottolenghi's on this uh, series with Helen Go, who he co-wrote Sweet With, um, who are both amazing. Helen's obviously slightly lesser known, but has an amazing story. Um, and then we have David Leibovitz, who's the first episode uh, for this season. And David's a friend of mine. I've known him for a few years. And it's it's always really nice to have a, a long conversation with David, because we always kind of see each other at very short things, or, you know, it's not a work conversation. So it was, it was a really interesting, fascinating chat. And then we have Jose Pizarro, um, and then we have my editor from an American magazine about projects we did together that will is actually will be out now. A magazine that I guest edited. We kind of did a podcast about him and about the process, and it's a really nice one. And then uh, we will have a, a few more in this season. I'm hoping to do um, I think ten in this season. So. I do want to get mm -hmm. to your journey of how you got here. Sure. And because I, I feel like that's probably something that a lot of people are curious about mm -hmm. with you. They see everything, everything that you do, everything you've built. And it's like, how do I get there? And I remember you and I shot videos together for our YouTube mm. channels. And um, you said that you described kind of like all of the, the weaving path it was for mm, you to definitely. get here um, when we shot together. But unfortunately, I couldn't include it in my three minute recipe <laughs> video. So I feel like now is the perfect time to dig into that. Sure. So take us back, start us before Great British Bake Off. So uh, Bake Off was 2010. Um, I would have been 23 at the time when I applied back in the February of that year. And the, I, before I actually applied, I was in a banking job I absolutely hated. I was effectively a glorified debt collector. I hated it. I was swan out every day. I had a death threat on one occasion. Oh I don't think it was real, but, you know, someone said he was going to come to Jefferson and kill me. Still so, sketchy. you know, still not nice. And it was just a job that genuinely made me miserable, kind of in talking about the whole way that a corporate work kind of structure wasn't working for me. I just didn't enjoy it because I didn't feel fulfilling in any way because it didn't feel like I was doing anything. I was, you know, paying off a bank's debt, but it didn't make me feel happy. It didn't do anything for the world. And so um, I kind of, as part of being at that job, and that job was meant to be a temp job whilst I figured out my life after leaving university. Um, and it was meant to be, I'll be there for six months while I figure out my whole life. And it ended up being like four years. Um, but... 
whilst I was there and kind of stuck in this real rut, I basically started baking again. Um, much more of a hobby than it had ever been before because previous to that, when I was a kid and growing up, baking was just something we did. And so I always really enjoyed it since I was little, but it wasn't ever something I would consider a hobby until kind of after university and when I was in this period. And you're from North England, right? I'm from Bradford, which is in West Yorkshire. So um, West Yorkshire is one of the biggest counties in the UK. And it's kind of, we have Leeds. I always, whenever I'm in London, say it's near Leeds because everybody's heard of Leeds. Oh, everyone in the UK has heard of Leeds. I started baking again because I just needed something that was fun and gave me some kind of creative release. And as I started to do that, it was kind of when blogs were kind of starting in a way. I remember reading uh, David's, it wasn't even called a blog back then. It was on some weird site, I can't remember. Um, and I remember I was reading David, I read Smithton Kitchen and mm. The Amateur Gourmet, which I don't know how it was kind of across the world, but they're in my head they were like the three big food blogs. And so I decided to start one, um, and it was terrible. It was so bad. It was shocking. The writing was awful. The pictures were shockingly bad. But it, it was never really meant to be read. I did it because I kind of thought... Um, I basically wanted to document myself learning um, because around the same time, I'd applied to go to culinary school um, just to a local kind of... Not, no, no prestigious, no nothing, just a local catering, a catering college. But I got turned down. And so I kind of... I have self-employed parents and I've always kind of assumed I would have my own business just because mm. of that. And so I kind of didn't really take it to heart and just started teaching myself. So I bought tons and tons of cookbooks and baked through them constantly. So um, over a period of about three, two to three years, I baked something almost every day. And it was just to teach myself something, a new technique, a skill, a flavor or whatever. And as I was doing that, um, I started getting uh, very small, but I started getting a following on Twitter and then Instagram a little bit later. Um, and I can never remember when I joined Instagram, so let's just say Twitter. Because um, <laughs> Instagram might have been after Bake Off, I can't remember, but Twitter was definitely big back then. And I started chatting to a lot of people in food in London, kind of the, on, who were on that kind of burgeoning vlogs, uh, blog scene in the UK. Um, and because of that, after doing that for about two to three years, um, someone saw the application for Bake Off in a paper somewhere and emailed it to me. And I can't find the email. I have no idea who actually sent it to me. Um, but someone sent it to me and said, this is something you should do. And I said, no. I kind of very... I have this strong memory of laughing at the idea that I would go on TV. Um, I think I deleted the email Um and I just kind of forgot about it. But then I was chatting to two friends of mine that lived down here in London. One of them's a pastry chef. One of them at the time was um, really active with this kind of food crafty blog. And they both convinced me that if I didn't think I was going to get on, I might as well just do it anyway. And that's kind of the reason I did it, because I, I do love TV as a format. I think it's fascinating. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a small-ish town and I wanted to see something different so I, I applied because I thought I would get to see an audition and that was it that's all I really wanted I had a hope obviously but I never thought it would actually happen um, and then that, I think that's in, in, in the end that's probably why I did quite well because um, when I was on the show after I actually got on um, I never thought I would win I remember almost quitting on the second episode I said it wasn't what for happened? I don't remember I have no memory of why I was going to quit 
but I remember being I was in one of the hotel rooms with a few of a few of the other contestants and then sitting me down saying Ed don't be stupid we all know you're going to win kind of vibe and there was like three or four of them in the room and I was like oh okay um I'll stay I guess I just genuinely never thought I would do well at all um and I think that's why I kind of I concentrated really strongly on each episode because rather than going oh I'm gonna win and thinking far ahead I was so much concentrated on each episode just because I didn't allow myself to think too much further forward what was the audition process like <laughs> I'm not gonna say I was naive but um there was a few things where I think oh okay that's why I got on the show mm. um because looking back, I was, you know, I was talented at what I did. Um, and there was a poor girl in front of me. Um, turned out she'd been on the same train down from Leeds as I was. Um, and she was one in front of me in the audition process. So she went into this room. She was in there maybe two minutes, maybe not even that. And it was a no. It was that quick. Wow. Yeah. And so what you do for that first one, and it may have changed since, um, but I think the structure is similar. You bring down some baking and you do like a mock judging um, and at that time, it wasn't with Paul Hollywood. He wasn't the judge attached to the show at the time. They were auditioning different people. So I had a different uh, male judge at the time. Um, and Mary was there. And it was just a small room, uh, you know, completely nondescript. And they were stood behind a table. You asked, they, they asked you what you made. You told them. And they kind of tried a little bit and, um, you know, gave opinions. And I realized there was a camera in the room. But the camera wasn't for me. It wasn't recording me. It was recording past me at the judges. And so it was effectively an audition for all of us. Mary was on the show. She was the only confirmed person. But it was like, um, uh, not a relationship test, a um, a test of chem- chemistry to see if the two judges got on together well. And um, I was so naive. I didn't even think about what I was saying. But the judge, who is a chef, an amazing chef actually, called Galton Blackiston, a Michelin star chef in Norfolk, I think, he said something kind of like oh do you bake a lot um because you don't look like you bake a lot and that's because at the time i had um when i was 19 i weighed 20 stone which is 280 pounds 40 240 pounds 80 i can't remember it was a lot (laughs) Uh, i was big and i lost um half of that in a year so i lost 10 stone in a year so 100 it was 280 i lost 140 pounds in a year wow and um I did it kind of by educating myself what was in food and, and becoming obsessive to a bad degree, but um, I became obsessive about being in a kitchen and, and actually making my own things rather than buying, like, crap from a supermarket. Right. Um, and so he said something kind of just really offhand, and he didn't even know my story, so I just said, oh, well, actually, you know, I was kind of teaching myself to bake as I lost weight. I recently just lost 10 stone. And I'd forgotten this camera was behind me, but it shot in front of my face. And the producer, who I later became friends with, um, told uh, told me later, the reason she was so intrigued with it is she had also just recently lost a ton of weight in the same kind of time. And she was like, oh, ding, 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 story, you know, formerly big person bakes and loses weight kind of thing it's like oh great tv yeah and it's a little counterintuitive as yeah well, I think baking what, and yeah i think that's like, why they thought it would be fascinating but um, but it does kind of get to the point of like if you know what you're putting in your body yeah, and if those ingredients are are quality ingredients yeah. as opposed to you know getting like the frozen pizza across <laughs> the way well i think is that's it i think for me cooking is the most important thing um i'm just about about to actually do a job with um 
a dieting brand. And it felt slightly counterintuitive at the start. But then I talked to the brand about what they wanted, and they actually really just wanted to talk about healthy cooking. And it wasn't about following their diet. It was just about um, actually showing people how to cook. And I thought, well, okay, that works for me because... um, I don't mind if people follow a super healthy diet or they, you know, they have a slightly more indulgent diet. I think the most important thing is knowing how to cook because I think by knowing how to cook, you genuinely make slightly better choices, even if just minorly better choices. You know, I don't have the healthiest diet in the world, but um, I try and I think I'm aware of what I'm putting into my body. And I think that stems from me when I was 19, spending two hours in the supermarket, looking at every single packet of everything, staring at labels, going, no, that's unhealthy, which was not healthy. I was being ridiculous um but it did did teach me about kind of what i was putting in my body so you were a contestant Mm -hmm. and you took it episode by episode challenge by challenge which i think is i think it's such a good like life lesson kind of to Mm. to like okay you have a goal yeah but you're not eyes on the goal like your your eyes on Mm. on what's at hand in the moment and then you'll look up yeah i think that's really true and actually i think i've been thinking about that a lot the last year because when i started doing this i had very big lofty goals and some of them were like pie in the sky ideas and uh, I look back at what I wanted when I started to kind of where I am now and I've done many of those things um, but I think it was by literally concentrating on the next job the next job um, because I think as, as nice as it is to dream about the future it's not the helpful thing because you know I'm freelance I have bills to pay and the most important thing is you know I, I have this rule and it's to do with um continuing being freelance and not working for someone else and it's basically uh, something my parents taught me when I was a kid and it's all about enjoyment versus reality so it was to do with the fact that when I moved to London I think I had 200 pounds in my bank that was nothing and I slept on a friend's I, I always used to say couch when I tell this story because uh, I thought it was and then I saw her a little while ago and she went you've been telling that story wrong it was not a couch we had a bed for you <laughs> uh, but it was it was like a box room so it was kind of like a very small bed in a tiny room so it kind of felt you know right yeah it's my story yeah it, um, it, it, it conveys the vibe so. yeah exactly and um, so i lived i lived on her uh, very comfortable jennifer uh, her lovely bed for a month and then uh, thankfully in that month i got a book deal oh, and so what i had done before i moved down and my parents were very set against it they were they were worried for me and um, you know i was a very shy kid and um, I had a lot of self-confidence issues so the idea of me like upping sticks and moving to London taking a big risk was like no no, no that's not necessarily the best thing let's let's do it slowly that took a huge amount of courage well I, I say it probably didn't because I had nothing to lose my job was I didn't need qualifications for my job it was a dumpy job that I hated you know I really was very overqualified for it um, and that's not me being big headed it was just the honest truth it was a, a very low level job that didn't need a lot of skill to get into it and I hated it I really hated it so I basically went screw this I'm going to take a risk and try and try and do this but basically my rule was if by the end of that first year I was paying my rent and I was happy and that's all I cared about I'm now 32 and I try and keep that uh, still in mind but as, as my agent said to me on the phone yesterday didn't you tell me the other week you want to buy a house i'm like mm-hmm. so now it's now the goal is if i'm working towards eventually buying a house one day um, i have a very sensible boyfriend who's a lawyer and he's like let's let's get this isa savings um but yeah my basic goal has always been 
enjoyability. Like if I love my job and I'm making a living, that's all I care about. I don't care about how much money I earn. I generally try not to because it's not my aim. Okay, so you were in London, you got this book deal, and mm -hmm. then did it all just kind of like unfold from that pretty? Kind of. I mean, the book deal was um, a secret for a long time. Um, my publisher didn't want... I don't know if I even announced I was doing a book. It was public that I was pitching a book because we pitched it to a lot of people. Um but I know I wasn't allowed to talk about it until maybe three months before the book came out. So there was a period of, I want to say nine months where nobody knew what I was doing. But it was kind of, it, for me, it was uh, kind of do do all these opportunities that were coming to me. I had a book deal. You know, it wasn't, it didn't pay me anywhere near money that a book deal should these days, but um, book deals don't. Um, but it gave me a little bit of security that meant I could kind of take some opportunities that were given to me doing bits of tv um you know and then i was doing lots of food festivals and i was kind of doing that media-ish circuit for a few months whilst then starting working for magazines that i still work for today um but then the book came out and that was kind of it was really it was quite a big deal for me because well and for the show i think because up until that point there was the official bake-off book Paul's book had been reprinted, I think, but it was an old book, and Mary had brought up her first, but there'd been no idea that a contestant, no one had ever thought about it. It wasn't like now where they're like, oh, which contestants are going to bring out a book? Right. It just wasn't thought of, because no one knew this show was going to be big. So I, I got a call by the, one of the producers after the show finished saying, just to let you know, it's BBC Two's biggest launch show in decades wow. I think and it beat its time slots expectations massively so it was a complete success no one expected it to do what it does now nobody did um just like it has fully crossed oh, yeah. borders I mean what? every American yes. knows it and I think that that's kind of really rare, annoying. Right? so my my season's not on Netflix and I'm really annoyed that is <laughs> and really I, I know yes. do you know why yeah. it's, it's really silly I think it's because it's not in HD oh uh, so yeah, that would make sense I just I just tell people that Bake Off's on Netflix. I don't tell them my season's not. I let them find it somewhere else. How have you changed as a baker since mm. 2010 when you won Great British Bake Off? I find watching what I was making on the show cringy really? these days. It's just, it's not to my standard. I'm, anyone that knows me will tell you that I'm super critical of myself and my own work and I'm never happy um, which is true to, I, I'm always pushing I always I know everything that I make can be better whatever it is I've never truly been happy but that, I think that's a good thing because I think if you become uh, complacent you don't progress so I'm always trying to push things further and you know when I did the show I was baking a couple of times a week three four times a week um but in a in a very different way now it's my day in day out job um practice makes perfect yeah completely yeah. yeah i literally bake all the time and i'm very lucky that i've been able to work in some different kitchens i have made friends with many professional chefs i get into kitchens in bakeries around the world i'm i'm in a very lucky place that I've been able to up my skill level massively. But also, back then, I didn't really have anything that I would call a style. Whereas now, like, I, I posted something today on Instagram, stories about whether I should put these sprinkles on something. And one of my friends who I've known for seven years uh, sent me a message going, it's just not your style, Ed. It's just not your style. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's 
accurate. It doesn't fit my, you know, aesthetic. My one rule has always been that flavor is always the first thing. I actually pitched something called Flavor First once. The book didn't go anywhere, but then someone else nabbed the title. Um, But basically it was about the idea that I have gone to many bakeries where everything's gorgeous and pretty and beautiful and tastes like crap. Yeah. And it's so disappointing. It is and so disappointing. That's why I'd never be a cake decorator because every cake decorator I know, some are really good bakers, some admittedly are terrible bakers on their own admission. That's not what they do. Um, whereas I don't have the patience and I would much rather something tastes really, really good. That was there when I did Bake Off, but that has turned into kind of the center point of the way I bake these days. Even if it's in different styles, the center point is always, has to be its flavor, because otherwise what's the point? Yeah, so that makes sense knowing what I know about um, places that you have sold your goods, mm. like the Bake for Syria event, yes. I, yeah. your, like, what was it, caramel brownies, <laughs> they sold out in a heartbeat. I mean, things like that don't happen unless the taste no. is no, I was. I, <laughs> it's funny. There's certain things you're just not allowed to say. <laughs> Something popped into my head about someone who ripped me off because of that event. Not in, the charity was wonderful. Nothing to do with the charity. Someone who came to the event and ripped off something that I did. It really annoyed me. Anyway, let's not talk about that. Yeah. Actually, to do. Actually, we could talk about it because it's all to do with creative credit. Yeah. No, I absolutely think we should talk about that. <laughs> Basically, somebody came to the market. I think they came to the market but basically this person follows me and um, I've met this person and multiple times they have uh, seen something I've made and it's you know it's not the most innovative thing in the world but it's something I created Uh, and then it appears and it's not credited and I don't care about someone making my stuff obviously that's my my intention Um, the thing I think is like when I make something if I borrowed someone's idea or style or whatever I think it's really important to give that credit because, you know, recipes have a story. And I think I find it really stressful and difficult when you put time and effort into something and then someone just goes and rips it off and they might have a bigger audience than you. And it's kind of like, okay, so they now think you've created it. And I've had people come back to my channel, see my original version and go, oh, did you get that idea from this person? I'm like, no. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, everyone who's listening, <laughs> if you're a creative, and I mean, it is a thing with with being in a creative mm. profession, um, There, because ideas are such uh, a key thing. It's okay if you borrow an idea or get inspiration, but, but do give credit yeah. to where that is from. In any of my YouTube videos, yeah. any recipes I make, um, if it's adapted from sure. or anything, I always, always... Hat just, tip, major hat tip. Yeah, tips. I think it's just it's just Give the right name, thing to do. Show graphic. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's the right thing to do. That's well, what it comes down to. For me, like a chef once told me, and this was um, at the time she had just left um, what was at the time the world's best restaurant. You know, one of those uh, things that we said, well, world's best restaurant. It was she was the pastry chef at the French Laundry. Oh wow! And you know, she it was at the time it was a it yeah, was still Thomas is Keller's a, restaurant yeah, yeah. out in California. Yeah. And it's a three star Michelin restaurant. It's you know legendary, world renowned, blah blah blah. And she's this British pastry chef, and she's a wonderful chef. And she said to me um, just after Bake Off, so I can't remember what we were talking about, but she basically said to me, "There's no such thing as an original idea in baking." And she has a slight point. I, I know exactly what she was getting at. She basically means that baking is built on foundations that you can't change too much, but you put your own spin on them. Mm, and right, so because it's chemistry. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's 
tons of chance people can come up with the same idea. But generally, the way things are put together is different. So, for example, there's um, an amazing, amazing baker in America who goes by the name Brave Tart, which is incredible. Yeah, yes, Stella, uh, Stella Parks. Stella Parks, yeah. yeah. She writes for Serious Eats. I've actually followed her for, I don't know, six years wow. before she wrote for Serious wow. Eats. And she's really scientific and, and, and nerdy about baking, and I love it. Yeah, I'm sure. That's... It's just, it's satisfying to me. Yeah. She came up with a new way to... Um, to form a lattice crust and it's a herringbone pattern and it's beautiful and so you know I made it posted a picture of it online and said you know this is from from the brain of you know Stella and I just I saw so many people who should know better posting their own versions and just not giving a nod to Stella I thought I just it just really and I don't I'm not sure why it gets to me so much but it really I just find it's just decency to kind yeah. of credit people. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's a really important thing to to bring up. Mm. I mean, your feed is so <laughs> drool worthy, and and you are a photographer too. You yeah. shoot? Do you shoot all of like? No, no. It's funny. I I've always loved photography. It's always been like my other hobby. Um, so I always joke that when I was at high school, I did an art A level. My art teacher, who was this um, amazing hippie kind of weird man but I loved him dearly he taught me photography and we used to use the dark room that our school had and my dad was always into photography as well but it was always kind of one of those hobbies that I just never really took seriously and then I started uh, writing for food magazines which meant I was going on food shoots and then I was on my book shoot and I was surrounded by these amazing amazing photographers and I just started picking up my camera again and it's become the only other thing that I could ever imagine doing as an actual job is photography. Especially as a baker, it's a very visual thing anyway. So, you know, um, I'm posting a picture in half an hour and there'll be a really nice reaction to it. And people will comment and say how you know tasty something looks or they'll then go and make it and post pictures of their own of my recipes. And like seeing other people make my stuff is the biggest compliment because that's the only reason I do it is because I want people to actually get in the kitchen and bake. It's not a vanity project. It's because I really think baking is an amazing thing and I want people to, to go and do it. So actually being sent these pictures is the best. It's like a, a big tick on a school report kind of thing. Like, yep, yeah, you're doing the right thing. So. Right, yeah. And you're getting the feedback Mm. That yes, what you're doing is making a difference. Yeah, and it's good. It's really satisfying. I, I do love it. You have to kind of these days become this person who does lots of different things in different places. With all of your creative ventures, how do you get unstuck? You know, like mm. it, it's so easy, at least in speaking from experience, to yeah. kind of feel stuck, like uh-huh. oh, I'm in the in the same, I'm yeah. in this routine, same thing again, like. You come up with so many recipes, and are you ever at a certain point like, oh my god, are there All more the recipes? So how do you get unstuck? I would say kind of I get the same thing as like writer's block. I get kind of creative block where I was saying it to my brother the other day where I was like, oh, my photography's crap at the moment. I just need to hone back in on something. And oftentimes it's just getting myself distracted with something. Um, I went to see Hamilton the other night, and it oh, was nice. incredible. And yeah. I then spent the entire day the, the day after just listening to the soundtrack and I was in a really good place. Sometimes it's getting out of the city, just a day, just away from work, you know, not thinking about it too much. Or even if it's like a day where I go to a bakery, there's a place down in Orford called um, Pump Street Bakery that I'm in love with. So even if it's like a day out to go there, something that refreshes you I think is really important. 
um, when I'm working on um, books especially, I often will write the recipe, write the content, and then not look at it for a month, and then come back to it and go, oh, this is garbage. Um, Because I can't properly judge it in the moment. I need distance to actually... um, see it properly see it without any kind of prejudgment on it so i think sometimes distance of any sort is really useful whether that's just you getting away from work just to kind of get out of your head a little bit or um you know distance in terms of like play really loud music in the kitchen because you're not thinking about the recipe in the same way it kind of makes you almost relax because you're listening to the music and you're kind of in that space and then actually you're just doing it by instinct more so check things out definitely i like it ed kimber thank you so much my for pleasure. coming on my podcast <laughs> it was a, deeper than i thought i'm a, a, I, I am a i'm a big fan of what you do i think you kick a lot of <laughs> ass um, i don't know if like children are gonna be listening to this Trust me, as soon as you get one swear word in the podcast, you're going to have to put explicit it goes, anyway. Yeah, so. I'm sure. Uh, my rule was, once someone swears, it's fine. Anyone can swear, it's fine. I Stay like so that. Explicit. Someone's still got to break the seal on this podcast. <laughs> um, so you guys check him out at um, on Instagram, at The Boy Who Bakes, yes. YouTube, and everything. everything, The Boy Who Bakes, Ed Kimber. Um, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And the theme song that you hear is from my brother, Brian Quinn.